It's a late night in the kitchen with my phone. Late night in the kitchen with my phone. With my nature phone. Making a little tea here. It's called, this is what we call making a little tea. But yeah, just thinking about, you know, as always, thinking about similar thoughts. And one of those is the idea that, you know, we should listen to and honor and put scientists on this pedestal when they're saving us. But allow them to wash their hands when they're the ones who are getting us into the mess that requires saving in the first place. And I'm not saying it's the same scientists, but people talk about science and scientists as if they're all part of one mass. And that we, if a scientist tells you something, you better listen to it. When it's like we should have the ability to make distinctions, even when it comes to scientists, especially when it comes to scientists. Because I can tell you, just I'm going to run the water here for a sec. I'm just going to narrate everything I do with my nature phone. Uh, but the the problem is, is it's like, if it weren't for scientists, we wouldn't have the ability to destroy the world. We wouldn't be able to use the technology. We wouldn't have it. You know, it's like I wouldn't be able to drive my car if it weren't for scientific innovation that created that technology. You know, did uh, did some scientist way back when who designed some mechanical component that later was incorporated into an engine that was then incorporated into a car like should he be blamed for carbon emissions from vehicles no i don't i don't think of it that way but we also shouldn't necessarily talk as if these things aren't related or these people didn't cause the issue in any way like people are so quick to be like words are violence Words are violence, and if you say the wrong thing, you incite a riot. If you say the wrong thing, you're responsible for the worst possible outcome, even in an unrelated situation. Therefore, we must censor you. You know, people are quick to say that, but yet it's like, oh, but when scientific innovation leads to something horrible, well, they didn't mean for it to be used that way. Einstein didn't didn't mean for his theory to be used in the creation of a nuclear bomb. You know, it's, we, we kind of take that attitude, but yet we're the same sort of person. And I, and I know I'm generalizing, but there there's at least one person, probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions, maybe. <laughs> I, I go from, hey, there's at least one person or millions. Well, there are, I'm sure there are. There are many people who just come from a place where they're like, words are violence. Words are dangerous. What you say, even if it's parody, what you say, no matter what the context is, is dangerous. Therefore, you can't say it. But yet scientists can come up with anything they want because science is wonderful. Science is so great. I just love science. Yet when that is used to some horrible end, something far worse than words could ever possibly do, it's like, oh, he didn't he didn't mean for it to be used that way. He didn't mean for gunpowder to be packed into these little silver cylinders and fire right at you. You know, it's it's like 
yeah, I, I'm willing to give them that benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to give a scientist the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, he might not have meant for his discovery to be used towards some horrible end. I, I get that. And I'm willing to give people the benefit of the doubt about everything. But I also think we can't let people just wash their hands of it. And when we say, the si- we got to let the scientists save us. Oh, we gotta let the we gotta listen to the scientists about global warming, and it's like global warming, if it is man-made, exists because we fucked around with nature using science. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I hate to swear. I try, I try not to swear these days, but it's like I am starting to get a little pissed off about this, and it's actually caused issues with some of my relationships to people I know, and I'm not going to name who, but it's like there are people I know who have gotten so deep onto this train of science is absolutely good, and we have, and then it's been, and, and I say that too because the whole pandemonium pandemic coronavirus has added to that. Where you can't even joke about it, you know, not that I'm looking to go hang out at at the hospital and be like, look at that old man on a respirator. Oh, that's your grandpa on a respirator. Listen to my joke about it. You know, I, I don't think I've made any jokes that are at somebody, a specific person's expense who has suffered from coronavirus. You know, I don't think I've made any jokes about that. And, and nobody's called me out for being flippant about this, but I'm sure it's caused issues because I have been, I have joked about it fairly openly. Um, excuse me, that's, I'm, uh, I'm getting some raspberry zinger out. It's my, it's pretty much juice. You know, I, I obsessively, just a little fact you should know about me is that I buy this Celestial Tea. I like the name, Celestial Seasonings. It's a great name. And they make what's called raspberry zinger. Raspberry zinger. And it's a, you know, a raspberry flavored tea without caffeine. One of the few things I drink without caffeine these days. And, uh, you know, you make iced tea that way and you pretty much have juice on hand. You have guilt, what I call guilt-free juice. Because you can drink this wonderful kind of fruity tea, iced tea, no calories, and uh, it's guilt-free juice. It's like you're drinking juice all day without without the excessive sweetness of juice, but still a little bit of a little bit of a fruity flavor, raspberry in this case, and it's a very good flavor. It's what we call uh, making a little raspberry zinger. Couldn't have come up with a better name for the flavor myself. <laughs> I'm just imagining like like buying a flavor of tea and being like, you know what, this should be called something else. Like if this tea wasn't called Raspberry Zinger, I would like write to them and say, you know what this tea should really be called? It should be called Raspberry Zinger. But no, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to let the scientists get away right right now. They're kind of they're sneaking away right now. You can kind of see them sneaking away in their lab coats. No, but it, it has kind of caused an issue for me with people. I've I've just detected it. It's not like I've had any like real fights with people, and it's not like I'm throwing this in anybody's face. Um, but, uh, I don't know. And like, it's just people, it's almost like an extortion racket the way I see it, where it's like, if we, if we are going to look at science as this big block that we should just universally accept and scientists as these priests 
who we should just universally listen to, these holy men, if we're going to see them that way, well, they have to be held to account in the same way. If we're, if we're going to act so generally about their virtues, if we're going to treat science and scientists and their virtues, which they have, like I, I'm, not, I'm not at all trying to say there isn't virtue in science or scientists aren't capable of virtuous actions. I, I absolutely believe that. They are. There is a lot of virtue in the scientific process. Scientists can be very virtuous. But if we're going to treat their virtue like it's some universal, we have to hold them to account with the same degree of universality. And I don't see that. Because when you want to hold them to account and say, oh, hey, you know, they're wrong. Not only are they wrong sometimes, it's not even about this whole like, oh, they're wrong. Oh, they were wrong about this part of coronavirus. It's not even about that. For me, it's about how they're experiments and innovations are used maliciously and even though it's not necessarily their fault and in some cases like in history they've been forced to you know you think about tyrannical governments authoritarian governments that force the scientists to develop military weaponry and do tests on people and do inhumane things you know it's like they're forced to do it in some cases but not really any differently than the way that a soldier is forced to do something. Like you can look at like the scientists in Nazi Germany, Nazi Germany, and be like, oh, well, they had to do that. Hitler made them do that. And it's like, well, he made them do that in the same way that he made soldiers do what they did. In the same way that we make our soldiers do things, you know, in the same way we make our citizens do things for that matter. You know, it's like, I don't think there's any way you can let them completely wash their hands because the idea is that like soldiers should be held to account because they could have walked away they could have put their gun away and and they could have gone AWOL and it's like a scientist can probably go AWOL too maybe a little bit easier even they definitely have more job possibilities when they flee the country in which they live but no, it's kind of like an extortion racket, like I was getting at, where it's like, oh, we're going to do all this stuff that allows you to destroy the earth. And then when you destroy the earth, we're going to come in and be like, hey, you should listen to us because we're going to save you. It's like a mafia protection racket where it's like, oh, you know, it sure would suck if somebody broke the, the front window to your store. How about if you pay us and we'll stop it from happening? And it's like, no, I don't think I'm going to pay you. I think our store is fine. This neighborhood is safe. And then guess what? Your window's broken that night, and you know exactly who did it. And then they show up, and they're like, oh, hey, it looks like your window did get broken. How about that protection racket? And you go, okay. And you're paying them to stop breaking it. But in this case, we're not, we can't pay scientists to stop messing with the earth. But I think we can say that, hey... You know, if it weren't for scientists messing with our natural world, we wouldn't have the tools to destroy the, na the natural world at the rate that we destroy it. So I don't know. I, I, and I mean, I, I guess I just don't see this perspective. It seems to be all or nothing. And if you criticize science as a non-scientist, like if you're, if you're a scientist 
it, you're allowed to criticize other scientists because you're peers. And it's like, oh, a professional is challenging another professional. Oh, I wrote this article challenging the findings of this other scientific professional, this other scientist, this other medical professional. But it's like if you're simply a person and you say like, oh, you know what? I'm going to heavily scrutinize what scientists say. And I'm actually going to give a little bit of pushback on this worship of scientists, this worship of science as this general, you know, it, it really is kind of a religion. And, you know, I'm not the only one to point that out at all. Um, but again, it's like we should value the process, not the institutions, not the individuals necessarily. Like, not that we shouldn't value the individuals but we shouldn't put them on the pedestal that they're on. And no, I'm, and I'm not going to argue with their findings. Like, I'm not somebody who's going to say they're wrong about something. You know, it kind of gets into the evolution thing where it's like, I don't challenge evolution at all. Like, on one hand, like, I know that I evolved from a wolf. I don't challenge the idea of evolution. You know, I know, but I know that I didn't evolve from an ape. I evolved from a wolf. Uh, other people I know evolve from similar beasts. Some people do evolve from apes. Other people don't. <laughs> you know, but uh, no, but I don't challenge the idea of evolution. But I don't see where evolution is inconsistent with some sort of, uh, I don't know, I mean, whatever you want to call it, like a cosmic origin, whether it's God whether it's something else, you know, I don't see where, I don't see where evolution explains creation. I understand where evolution explains a process that plays out after creation or during creation. And, and I'm, I'm sure that people, I'm, I'm sure that an evolutionary biologist would tell me like, oh, well, this, you know, it, it's not about, I don't know. I'm sure they would have some explanation in response to what I'm saying. But I guess in terms of just, you know, practical knowledge, practical conversations that people have about this, it's creation versus evolution. Those two things, I think it's another example of what I always talk about on here, which is like, that's a false contradiction. Those things aren't necessarily contradictory. And intelligent design like tried to combat this in kind of a cute way where they were like, well, because a banana fits in a, in a human's hand perfectly, it's a sign that God designed the world. It's a sign that some sort of divine intelligence designed the world. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get into that. I, I don't get into intelligent design necessarily, even though I believe something similar to that. And it's just a belief. You know, you say, oh, I believe something similar to that. And somebody might want to like hold your feet to the fire about it. Like if I were to say to somebody, Oh, you know what? Like, uh, I believe in creation as well as evolution. I believe there was some sort something created life, something. And by something, I'm not saying someone, I'm saying something. I mean, I do have my own leanings as far as that go, but if I'm trying to just, if I were, if I were trying to talk to somebody about this, I would simply say, I believe that something created life and you get into like you know, Buddhist cosmology, which, you know, would say there is no, there is no, like, nothing happens in a vacuum. 
you know, everything is causally related. You know, nothing moves without something else moving it, is the Buddhist idea. Making it impossible to pinpoint like a single act of creation or an initial movement for that matter. Because something is always moved by something else. It's, well, they, it's, they refer to it as, I believe, dependent origin. Which is the, you know, origin depends on something else. Therefore, it's pretty much impossible to pinpoint an initial act of creation. And I, I get that, and I like that idea in its own way of there being no single dot. Like there wasn't one single dot placed on the piece of paper that we can cite as the origin of everything because that dot required a pen and a hand. And, you know, it's like everything has some sort of causal relationship to something else. Everything depends on something else. And to pinpoint some origin that wasn't a response or that wasn't somehow moved by something else you know it's just it's it's it i wouldn't say it's impossible for that to have happened because we're talking about i mean that this is, this is the important thing to remember about this <laughs> about like the creation of all life is that we're talking about the most impressive phenomenon of all phenomena when we're talking about the origin of life, and maybe not the, maybe there's things larger than that. I'm not gonna, this is from my biased human point of view, but as a, a living creature on earth, as, as a life myself, the most impressive phenomenon of all phenomena is the creation of life. So if we're talking about something that is that impressive, we can kind of go all out. We can kind of go, you know what? It's got to be something that's almost impossible for us to comprehend. I mean, it has to be. You know, it has to be impossible for us to comprehend the thing that is capable of creating us. And that's why people get so twisted up when they talk about the word intelligence, like intelligent design. Because when a Christian says intelligent design, what they mean is an entity that is intelligent in the same way we define intelligence, meaning God created man in his image. Therefore, God has an intelligence that's comparable to man. Therefore, if the world was intelligently designed, it was as if a giant man designed it. And I'm not opposed to that idea because as I've come to accept the word God... As I've come to accept the idea of God, just, you know, not even something I chose to accept, but just kind of, it, I just reached a point where I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to stop resisting this. I'm not completely opposed to the personification of God. But I, I'm not arrogant enough to narrow it down to that either and say, that's what it is. Because again, it, it kind of goes back to creation where it's like this is if if we're talking about the thing that created life even if it's not even if it wasn't a single moment you know even if it's something like the buddhist cosmology that i'm referring to where it's dependent origin where it's like 
creation depended on something else, which depended on something else. So it's like narrowing things down to one single point of origin seems unlikely, if not impossible. But again, it comes back to the idea that this is incomprehensible to us. So for us to try to pinpoint it using our own processes, using our own systems of understanding, it's vain. It's in vain and it's actually vain because, again, it's it's biased. In the same way that I'm a human, so of course I would think that the thing that created life itself is the most impressive phenomenon when there's something bigger than that. So, of course, I would, you know, of course I'm limited to what I see, but, you know, I'm not... Um, I'm not opposed to personifying it. I'm not opposed to thinking of God as a man or just God as a um, as something that has human-like qualities in a capacity that is far larger and far beyond anything we can understand. And that's kind of a funny thing too cuz like we can it kind of goes into like the science thing where it's like we can readily accept that some people are more intelligent we can readily accept that some people are more creative. We can readily accept that some people are more skilled at doing certain things or thinking certain ways. But the idea of thinking of that intelligence beyond the human experience, the idea of like, oh, this person's really good at math. This person's really good at guitar. This person's an excellent athlete. But the idea of, of going outside of the human experience and applying those qualities to something that we can't necessarily see, like a god, makes people clam up. They're like, ah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Intelligence is this massive spectrum that we still don't completely understand, even within our own species or other species on Earth. But yet the idea of intelligence, the, the spectrum of intelligence expanding beyond the human experience is really difficult for people to deal with. So I don't know, you know, I, I didn't expect to get into creation and all this tonight. You know, I was just kind of, I was looking to just talk a little smack about uh, scientific arrogance and how people are... Telling you to accept science with this broad brush. Oh, listen to the science. And it's like, if we're going to listen to the science in this general way, we have to accept that they're capable of horrible things, even when they don't intend for those things to be horrible. Therefore, we should, if they're capable of, of horrible things, or if, they're, if scientists are capable of giving us the tools to do horrible things, that means we have to be skeptical of either the scientists themselves or what scientists offer us. It doesn't mean we have to reject everything they do, but it means we have to be somewhat skeptical of them. And if you even look at the coronavi, and I don't know what the I don't know what it means as far as like there's a lab leak hypothesis. There's a lab leak hypotenuse. There's a lab leak hippopotamus. You know there's a lab leak hippopotamus? Hypothesis, hippopotamus, hypotenuse. You know, I don't have any opinion on that. You think I have an opinion on that? You think I have an opinion on the the lab leak hippopotamus? Of course I don't. 
I know some people think that's possible. And if it, if that turned out to be true, though, let's just uh, let's ex explore this hypothetically. Hippopotamus, whatever. Uh, let's explore this hypothetically. If the coronavirus was designed in a lab, that means scientists are responsible for coronavirus. And that would mean that scientists also have to protect us from coronavirus. Does that mean that the scientists who are protecting us from coronavirus are the same scientists who produced coronavirus in a lab and let it get out either deliberately or not deliberately? No. We shouldn't blame the scientists who are trying to give us good advice just because coronavirus may have escaped from a lab. You know, and again, I don't have an opinion on that idea. It actually makes no difference to me where coronavirus came from. I couldn't care less where it came from. But just for the sake of making this point, because I think it's easy to understand, hopefully, you know, it's a great example of what I mean, where it's not that we should blame all scientists for coronavirus if coronavirus did escape from a scientific lab. And it's not that we shouldn't listen to scientists who tell us what to do to protect ourselves in response to coronavirus if it came from scientists in another part of the world. But it's a great example of the fact that we can't look at science broadly and say, we believe in science and we listen to the scientists. Because if we're going to respond, in, in, if we're going to look at science in that general way, that means that we have to show the same regard for people who created a dangerous virus and let it escape from their lab or maybe deliberately let it out if they're if they were told to do that by the the tyrants in the chinese government but it means we have to treat them all the same which is insane if we're supposed to treat scientists who are responsible for something horrible or even if they didn't intend to do it, if they are nonetheless a responsible party, if we're supposed to treat them the same way we treat the scientists who are, you know, telling us, you know, how to save ourselves, you know, we're going to go crazy. And guess what? We are. We are going crazy. And uh, maybe this is uh, something to think about. But there are going to be some people, like when all things settle, I don't know how they're going to settle. I don't know what things are, are going to be like, but it's something to consider. But when things go, when things are back to some sort of manageable state and you're back out in the world and you're able to do the things that you would normally do in some capacity, when you're around people again, there are going to be some people who don't recover from this. There are going to be some people who never fully recover. And like you can make comparisons like, oh, your, your great grandma who went through the Great Depression and, you know, she never uh, she saved all of her chicken bones because she remembered what it was like to be hungry. And even though she has money now and plenty of food. She still saves all of her chicken bones, and it's kind of a neurotic, it's almost like a tick. 
she has left over from the Great Depression. You know, there's things like that. And I'm not even referring to that so much because those things, even though those are kind of, you know, they're they're little weird ticks. They're not necessarily, uh, I mean, they're practical. Like, they make sense. Like, it makes sense why somebody would do that. It makes sense why if your grandpa survived the Great Depression and he saves pennies under his bed, even though he has a bank account and plenty of money, he was a, when he was a kid during the Great Depression, he saved every penny. And so he still does it as an old man because he just, just in case, he remembers, you know. I don't even mean that. I don't even mean like practical things that people are still going to do because of this whole experience. Like people keeping a mask in their pocket for the next 30 years just in case a government announcement comes out that we have to wear masks again. You know, that make that would make some level of sense. Like practical residual things that are left over from coronavirus or or anything related to the last year. But there are going to be some people who just mentally socially don't recover from this, not fully at least. And you may already know some of them. Some people may feel that way about you. And that's a that's something that I, I'm kind of trying to navigate myself because what crazy people want more than anything is to call other people crazy. What somebody who is addicted to therapy wants more than anything is for everybody else to go to therapy. I know that's come up a few times recently, but I've just seen it in particular in, in some of the women I know. It's women in my life. And I don't mean to give them a hard time, but I'm just I'm making a, an observation based on what I've experienced and seen. And, um, you know, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I have plenty to say about it, but I don't I don't know how to conclude that. Only that I'm just I'm getting a distinct feeling right now that like, damn, there are a few people I know who will never completely recover from this. Like, this hit them at, at such... I think this hits certain people at the wrong time in their lives, where there are people who are either too young or they're too old to have their consciousness, to have their, you know, mental stability permanently impacted by this, beyond, like, maybe little ticks, little residual things that will hold over, but... There are some people definitely, like, something to keep in mind, something just to be prepared for. It's not like you don't need to pinpoint exact, oh, who do I know that, like, is never going to completely recover from this mentally? Because we're still in it, first of all. Um, But, you know, you don't need to be sitting there trying to figure out who. It's a weird game to play. But it's something to be prepared for. It's something to be prepared for when you go to a a family gathering, when you go to the workplace, when you go to parties, when your friends want to meet up, when all the dust is settled. It's just something to keep in mind, to be prepared for, to be prepared for some people, for the elasticity in some people to have kind of snapped. Not that they're going to be dangerous, but just that like, it might feel really weird to interact with them. They might have lost some component. And, uh, it's a good reason to, you know, keep your skills sharp. Keep your skills sharp. Call people. Call your friends. 
a good uh, brother of mine called me tonight. We hadn't talked on the phone for, I think, a few years, a couple years at least. And uh, it was great. We talked for hours. And, you know, he's got a wife and two kids now, but he's still involved in, in some of the same things I'm involved in. And, uh, you know, you know, we're, uh, it's important. It's important to do that. And not a lot of people don't do it. You know, a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people have lost the skill of talking on the phone. I've talked about it before where like I, I had a girlfriend who had like unmanageable anxiety about even talking to like her family and friends and you know when I was her boyfriend even talking to, to me on the phone and I would kind of harass her I would call her on purpose <laughs> and uh but uh you know it's like one of those things where like that's a skill like you gotta keep that sharp learn how to talk again if you're not talking to people, because I mean, I think about that where like I've been extremely isolated, sure. Like I have one friend that I see consistently in, in Coroni vibe, but the last couple of months I've only seen her a couple times. And beyond that, I'm not reaching out to people around here to hang out or anything like that. Fortunately, I got to see family during the fall. But I'm very isolated. You know, I got baddie and stuff, but I'm very isolated as far as, you know, social contact goes, as, as just about everybody is. Um, but one thing that I have made it a point to keep up on, and I'm fortunate to know other people who do like to talk on the phone, is talking. You know, it exercises that muscle. Listening to what other people have to say about the world and being able to say what you want to them. And I don't know that Zoom allows that. Like, I don't know that Zoom, I mean, I've gotten so into calling it Zoom that I, I got to make sure people actually know what I'm referring to. Zoom. And I've even had like weird conversations with people about Zoom because I, I have yet to use that particular software, that app, that, that app. I talk to scientists on Zoom all the time. I have Zoom meetings with sci scientists across the world. And just a random thought, but something came out recently that Greta von Thunderberger, Greta, Greta von Thunderberger, that like something came out where like she accidentally posted something online that revealed that like she has a handler who basically tells her what to say. And not just her, but it was like, she accidentally posted this like template that was for like notable figures. It was like something that is given to famous people who, you know, famous activists or celebrities who want to get involved in activism. And it's like, what did you expect? I mean, like, cause I'm against the idea of scrutinizing that girl. I think it's actually horrible that that girl has been put in the position she's in. And when people attack her, it bothers me. You know, I, I can call her whatever I want. Greta von Thunderberger. I mean, I'm not, that, that, it's not attacking her. You know, I, I have names for everybody if I even need to explain it. But, uh, you know, Greta von Thunderberger, like, you know, I'm against the idea of like attacking this girl. She's a kid. In the same way I was against people attacking the Sandman, 
you know, for, for his smirk, his, his poisonous smirk that ruined lives. He killed a Native American drummer with his smirk. You know, in the same way people attacked that kid. And, you know, he rightfully sued those parasitic news organizations for what they did to him. You know, I feel the same way about, like, conservatives who attack this girl. And but it, and people are making this big deal because this document got leaked. And not it didn't even get leaked. She accident. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can even consider it a leak because she posted it herself. Like, she accidentally shared this document that she wasn't supposed to share that revealed that she's basically a puppet. That was that was my interpretation of the whole thing. And it's like people are like, see, see the the 15, the 14 year old Greta. It turns out she's not calling all the shots. It's like, who, who are, who is surprised by that? You know, who is surprised by that idea? But I, I had a zoom meeting with her the other day. I had a Zoom meeting with all the scientists, and I had a Zoom meeting with Greta, and we talked about our our strategy for saving the world. But no, I was going to talk about Zoom here, Zoom, as I call it, Zoom. Zoom. But I haven't used the I haven't used that particular service yet, and. Uh, I had a weird conversation with a couple people close to me about it where they wanted to zone. And I kind of, you know, jokingly said, uh, I kind of jokingly was just like, you know what, I haven't used it. And, you know, I'm not going to get all conspiratorial about it, but I find it highly suspicious that that software kind of came out of nowhere right when all this started and everybody just immediately started using it as the sole service. You know, I know people still use Skip, Skeep, Skype. I know people still use that. I know I know people still use other services, but the fact that people overwhelmingly adopted Zone as their method of professional survival as the way they communicate with their, all their family and friends. And it's probably really easy to use. Like, I'm sure there's a practical explanation where it's really easy to use with your nature phone and your laptopper. You know, I'm sure that it's really easy to use. But I still find it kind of suspicious. And I've mentioned this before, I know, but still, like... I had a job just, you know, a, a few years ago where one of my main duties was researching teleconferencing software, web conferencing software. One of my main duties was use, using that software for our company and researching different options. And, you know, I, I, I never heard of it. And I tested a lot of that software. Like I, I tested like like Amazon has their own one, their own version. You know, there's uh, Cisco has all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, there's another company that's name escapes me right now. Um, but uh, there are some companies that are well known for that kind of software. I mean, you have Skype, obviously. But you know, part of you know it wasn't my sole job, but it was like one component of my job was to research and test that software 
and and try to incorporate it into our company and some different things like that. And I'm not going to say that I knew every single service available. And I, I even looked it up and I know that Zoom existed at that time. Like I saw that like they've been incorporated since such and such year and the software has been in development, blah, blah, blah. But like what was weird is that nobody even recommended that. And that wasn't that long ago. You know, it wasn't terribly long ago. You know, I know things, I know that like just a couple years can be a massive amount of time in technology, but I still find it kind of weird that nobody even told me at that time that it was the new thing on the rise. The one that people tried to get me to look into, like the one that everyone kept like recommending was Amazon service. And maybe that is Zoom for all, maybe, maybe that is the same thing. I don't know. It, it was called something else though. I'm going to use my one lifeline to actually look it up because I'm curious what the name of Amazon's service is or was. Excuse me while I use my phone a friend. My Google. My Google is my friend. Lady Google. And I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I got to give myself some credit because, you know, in the very first Every Night's a School Night episode I did over seven years ago, I mentioned like how awful futuristic language is with like pod. I, I think I criticized the word podcast even where I was like, oh, we're the pod people. We got our iPads and our iPods and our lady Google. Like that's been a joke on this show for over seven years. And that joke predates every night to school night. Like I've been calling her lady Google for probably like 10 years, you know, maybe not 10, maybe nine, maybe nine, one digit. Not double digits, but no, I've been calling Lady Gaga, Lady Google for a long time. And now she's like this fixture. She's like this political fixture. Like she's like super involved with the Democratic Party in this in the new regime. And it's like, I saw all that coming. I don't see everything coming. Like I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I saw it coming. I saw Lady Google coming from... 10 million miles away, 10 million. I saw her coming from a, I knew that, I knew there was going to be something extra nefarious about her. And maybe there's nothing. It's like, oh, she just sang, she sang at the Inog. But it's like, no, I think there's something a little more nefarious about it. Um, Lady Google. Oh my God, you lost your mind. You, you have conspiracy theories about Lady Google. I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know. Amazon had some kind of software for this. I don't know what it is. Um, I want to know now though. I feel like it was like Firewire. It wasn't, but I, I feel like it was uh, Chime. It definitely wasn't called Chime, but they probably, you know, they rebrand these things. Now they're calling it Amazon Chime. I can, I swear to God. I swear to some, whatever that thing is, that intelligent thing was that may or may not have created us, it was not called Chime when I researched it. It says, Amazon Chime is a communication service that lets you meet, chat, and place business calls inside and outside your organization, all using a single application. Yeah, it was not called Chime. But uh, 
either way, someone was trying to like get me on the Chime train, what was what's now called Chime. And nobody ever once mentioned Zoom was the new thing to get on the train, you know, get on the Zoom train. But now in 2020 and 2021, like your family members are telling you that. Like now your family members are like, if you don't use Zoom, you're weird. Because I, I've, I've kind of been in, like, I, I don't know, I was trying to explain to somebody like, as a joke, I was like, you know, I, I don't actually believe that it's a conspiracy, but I do find it really suspicious that Zoom came out of nowhere right when Coronavi hit. And yeah, somebody can listen to this and be like, no, I was using Zoom before that. My company used Zoom for meetings before that. Somebody, I'm sure it was in use. I know it existed before that. See, I'm, I'm hearing those phantoms arguing with me again. We're going to tell me I'm wrong about Zoom, but I've actually, I like I said, I had an awkward conversation with somebody where they got really defensive about Zoom <laughs> it, because I joked around about it. And that, that just reinforces, like, like, I wasn't serious about it being a conspiracy until someone I know got defensive about it. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't help. You know, like, it doesn't help when I'm, like, making a joke about Zoom being some sort of, like, conspiracy to monitor us because suddenly every single person started using it the second we were locked in our houses. Like, it's not even a thing where it's like, oh, our company uses this other thing. It's like Gmail, you know, where it's like when Gmail came out, they played that game where it's like not everybody could get a Gmail account. Like you had to have a code or something. You had to be like referred by a friend to do like beta testing. So that made it desirable because not everybody could get it. But like at some point, it became the standard to have a Gmail email address. And I have a Gmail email address that I use for professional reasons and for related things. But I still have an, a Hotmail email address that I've had since I was 15, and that's my main email. And when I tell people that, like when, when someone asks me for my email and I give them my Hotmail address, they're like, Hotmail, huh? Ooh, I haven't seen a Hotmail address since, uh, wow, uh, wow, I haven't seen a Hotmail address for, for 20 years. You know, like people act like that about it. But there's this weird like thing where if you don't have a Gmail address, like if you turn a resume in and there's not a Gmail address, you're probably less likely to get hired. And there's no logic behind that. Because it used to be where like not only were there a million different email services where like people had Yahoo emails, Hotmail emails, you would have email addresses associated with like your own website with other specific sites. But there reached a point where everybody got a Gmail address. And if you don't use Gmail, people almost raise an eyebrow. If that's not some sort of weird socially enforced surveillance, I don't know what is. It's almost like a panopticon thing. But it's like, oh yeah, the company that has total control over your life. They also have your email. And there's weird social pressure and professional press pressure to use a Gmail address, even though there's no like clear reason. Yeah, it's like there are a bunch of other services associated with Google that you have to use through a Google account. 
and a Google account is synonymous with having a Gmail account. So it makes sense, therefore, to just have a Gmail account so you can use all these other services, some of which you rely on professionally because somebody you work with or somebody or just socially, somebody's going to want to share a doc with you. Somebody's going to want to share a, a Google spreadsheet with you. But still, it's like I find it really suspicious that like at some point it just became pretty much mandatory to exist in this world to have a, a Gmail address. And a year ago, it became mandatory to use Zoom. If you want to be a professional, if you want to see your family, <laughs> if you want to see your family's faces, and if you tell them that, like, if you even make a joke about Zoom, there are people in your life who are going to get really defensive about it. Not like fight with you, but I had somebody who got noticeably defensive when I made a joke about how I haven't used Zoom and I find it kind of conspiratorial that it suddenly appeared out of nowhere. Like, that sucks. You know, that just sucks. I don't even have any more to say about it. I'm just going to sum that up by saying that sucks. You know, like who, who would ever want that? Like who would ever want for somebody you love to get defensive about a web conferencing service that you're forced to use? And like some, I heard somebody make a comment. I can't take credit for this, but I saw somebody online who described that as the uncanny valley. Cause, cause I have to mention like too, like, there might be a level of hypocrisy in this. Like here I am the guy with the nature phone. Here I am the guy who says, uh, it's all nature, baby. Social meteor is nature. Your laptop is nature. Your soul inhabits the devices you use. Therefore they are nature. Here I am the guy who's been ripping on that, riffing on that, riffing, not ripping. I'm the guy who's been riffing on that nonstop for like a month, two months. Everything is nature, including technology, and yet I'm like, not Zoom, though. But on, on an intuitive level, I, I find something wrong with it. And maybe I just need to use it. Like, maybe I just need to bite the bullet and just use Zoom, and I'll be on here after that being like, guys, just use it. It's, it's, it's even more natural than phones. Zoom is even more natural than your phone, therefore you use it. You know, that very well might be me in a month. My like little resistance to Zoom might very well be all bogus and I'm going to find out it's just as natural as everything else. But on a gut level, I find it really suspicious. And uh, somebody else I saw was talking about it online and, and they were saying how there's this kind of uncanny valley effect where it's like, almost like you're seeing the real person who you're talking to it's almost like you're in the same room as them but you're not quite and so you get that sort of uncanny valley effect where it's more unsettling than it is not like like they were saying it's more unsettling to be on a zoom call with somebody than to just be talking to them like on the phone maybe i don't think they said that but that was kind of what they were implying where it's kind of like an android who is almost like a person, but because there is this small sliver of difference between actual personhood and androidhood, it's more disturbing. 
It's like more disturbing that they're so close, but yet there's still this this distinct difference. And I think that's kind of what I imagine. I mean, I've had that experience. It's not like I haven't used this stuff. Like while I have not used Zoom, Zoom, I've used other so- similar software. I've Skype video chatted with people. I've used web conferencing software. I've used all this stuff. And I agree with that take. I agree completely. I hate it. Even though I love all of these natural things like cell phones, I hate web soft. I, I hate video calls. I don't like being on camera. Like I love talking to people on the phone, but I don't like like sitting there and like having to pretend you're making eye contact while you're really like looking at yourself and how you look. And it's not just narcissism. It's like it's hard not to like want to see how you look when you're doing that. And so you're not really like looking at the person and you're not really in the same room as them. So you're playing this game where you're pretending like it's like it's the I I feel like that person and I, I wish I could credit them. I can't remember who said it. It was a person online. But I feel like that description was perfect. It it really is this sort of uncanny valley effect where it's like you're almost with that person. You're almost in the same room as that person. But because you're still not, it's almost more disturbing than if you were just talking on the phone or instant messaging. And so that's kind of, I think that that really accurately described my own existing experience with that sort of software, as well as my reluctance to use Zoom unless I absolutely have to. You know, (laughs) I'm very passionate about this, but there is this uncanny valley effect. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm in the same room as you. You know, I've never used FaceTime. I've never used that stuff. And I'd rather just talk on the phone. And And that's a weird thing, too. Like people have this anxiety about being on the phone, but yet they'll just jump into Zoom like it's no big deal. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know. Um, We'll see how it all develops, but maybe I'm the person, you know, I was talking about some people aren't going to come, some people aren't going to snap back. Some people's elasticity has been strained or even broken, and maybe that's me. I don't think so, though. I think I'll be all right because I'm thinking critically, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking critically about these things rather than just blindly accepting them. I don't know. I mean, because uh, I looked up Zoom just now. I'm using my lifeline because I, I didn't end up, I guess I'm using two lifelines in an episode. See, this is a slippery slope. Two lifelines in one episode. I should be shot. A scientist should shoot me. But I, I decided to look up Zoom because I wanted to see. It was founded in 2001. Yet I was extensively researching this type of software from 2000. Or sorry, sorry, it was founded in 2011, not 2001. 2011. So it was in development, let's say, from 2011. And, you know, I don't know. It's just how come I didn't hear about this when I was actively when I was required to be looking into this constantly. I don't know. 
but it's like if you type in Zoom, you get a bunch of articles. Like there's an article that's like, why Zoom is terrible. It's a New York Times article, why Zoom is terrible. And it's like, they're probably going to say it's terrible for completely different reasons than I would. As someone who's never used it. I don't know, I have a headache. I have like, I suddenly have this bad headache. I should just go to sleep. It's really late. But I'm, I'm really, I'm on a really nocturnal sort of schedule at the moment. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I, I, it's about all I got. I already, I already said what I needed to say about science. I already said what I needed to say about Zoom. You know, I just, it's unfortunate that people are defensive about some of these things. Like something else, while I'm just ranting about things that are going on right now, another one of those things that I find really ominous is whenever I go for walks now, I see these Amazon and uh, particularly Amazon because that's new. I mean, it's all sorts of delivery trucks. It's like, of course, UPS and FedEx. There's, I see more of them than I ever have. But these Amazon vans... I don't ever remember seeing those before. And in the last year, because of Coronivi, they're just, they're like, it's like seeing droids. Like what it reminds me of in, in the first Star Wars movie. Here we go. It's been a while since we had a Star Wars reference. Thank God. Thank God I'm bringing up Star Wars. But, uh, you know, in the, in the first Star Wars movie, like they get to the Death Star and there's this little droid that is just, I think you see him a couple times. There might be a couple of them. But there's this little droid just... Um, like zooming around the Death Star. It's like this tiny little, it's like almost shaped like a van. You know, not quite a rectangle, but it's like this kind of like trapezoid shaped droid with wheels. And like when I see these Amazon vans all over the place, they remind me of that Death Star droid. They remind me of that little wheelie Death Star droid. And I don't like it. You know, and this doesn't even have anything to do with like, oh, Amazon is evil because they're killing small businesses like Walmart. Amazon is just like Walmart. It's not even that. It, I just, it's like pure, it's like a purely visceral reaction. I think that, that's what I'm trying to get at here. It's like, it's like my response to Zoom is a visceral reaction. It's not even like something that I've intellectualized. It's like I just on the on a gut level, I just have this reaction when it comes up where I'm like, no. You know, it's like somebody trying to like feed a baby who doesn't want to eat, and the baby just like closes its mouth and is like, no. You know, that's how I feel about like Zoom. And then when I see like all of these Amazon vans, I find it really disturbing. And it's not like I'm like sitting there like upset. It's not like I'm sitting there like, God, life sucks now because there's an Amazon van everywhere I look. But I see so many of them. I'm just like, the visual of this alone is weird. And they're those skinny vans. Like skinny jeans, they're skinny vans. They're, they're not like big Dodge vans. They're not like big child molester vans. They're like these like skinny tall vans. And I just, they're, I don't know, man. I don't think I need to even explain myself why I don't like that. Because they're just all over the place delivering packages. And I'm glad people are getting packages. I'm glad people are getting what they need. Like I said, it's not like this is an intellectual thing. 
It's not something that like my intellect is telling me where it's like, well, it's bad that people are stuck in their houses ordering things on this from this company that is destroying small businesses. You know, it's not like that's any part of it, actually. It's just it's purely just like seeing these vans like come in and out of my neighborhood and, you know, they're everywhere. And I don't even live in that populated of an area. Like I live in Olympia, which is the capital of Washington, but I live kind of on the outskirts of town. And so I have no idea. It's probably, I can't even imagine what it's like in an ur- like a real urban area. It must be all those, like you must have so many of those vans. It's unbelievable. So those are just some little things I've noticed. And I, and I would, I don't know. I feel like if I were to point that out, somebody would probably get defensive about that. You know, some phantom, there's some phantom out there. Like in the same way I had an experience of somebody getting defensive about Zoom, which like I wasn't attacking them. I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem with like whenever you use something. Like if I'm driving a Honda and somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I really I don't I, I, you know, I'm looking for a new car, but I don't want to buy a Honda and you drive a Honda, your tendency will to be will to be like a you'll get offended just because you drive a Honda. It's like your ego is attached to that. And and it's different if it's personal. Like it's different if it's personal. Like, you know, if, uh, if you have like blonde hair and, and somebody, you know, says to you, like, you know, I really don't want to talk to people with blonde hair. Like, you have a right to be offended. Like, I mean, it'd be so absurd that you'd laugh at that. But it's like, you you have a right to be like, hey, fuck you. Fuck you. If somebody says, hey, you know what? I really don't like talking to people with blonde hair and blue-green mixed eyes. And that describes you. You know, you have a right to be like, hey, fuck you. You know, it's just you have a right to feel that way. But it's like, if you're using a service or you're like, if you have a certain type of car like you have no right to be defensive about that and you know obviously i'm stuck on this because it weirded me out it weirded me out that someone i know got defensive about that especially because i wasn't saying anything like critical about them or i wasn't even actually criticizing zoom i was just saying i'm reluctant to use it and it's weird that it became so widespread at like this one moment in time but it's it's kind of like that same thing. Like what it reminds me of too is like if you've if you've ever known somebody who worked for like a big company, like everybody here hates Xfinity, Comcast. Like if you live in this area, like Xfinity, Comcast, whatever the name of the company is now, the internet provider, cable provider, like they have an absolute monopoly on the internet in this area. And if you want the internet, you know, yeah, there are other options, but you pretty much have to go with them in most places in this area. And they they charge you like fees, like, you know, it, it's absurd. Like everybody knows how awful those companies are to deal with. You ever heard of cable companies? This is like bad stand-up comedy. You know how everybody knows how bad cable companies are. Um, it's true though. I mean, they're notoriously awful to deal with. But I was talking to somebody once, you know, I worked with somebody who had, uh, who had uh, worked for a big company like that. And I made an offhand comment about that company. Like I was dealing with that company and I was like, oh, 
well, I'm having, I'm, I'm trying to cancel this service with this big company. And, uh, and the person got really, they used to work for that company in a, in a, you know, in some like low level capacity, like they were a clerk and they got really defensive. They started defending the company. They were like, well, no, well, the reason they charge you the fee is because of, uh, it's actually like they have to input it into the database and, uh, you know, they, they do have to like have a clerk file the, uh, blah, blah, blah. They do have to have a clerk who, uh, takes the, the box out of the box and puts it on the shelf. And then they, they have to like put your name in the database. You know, it's like they came up with some like explanation for why you get charged a $15 fee for like canceling the service or, you know, whatever it is like, and I was, and they were like really defensive of the company. They're like, well, no, their policies actually make sense. And this, they, this person didn't even work for them anymore. And it's just like, this is it. This is why people lose their minds. This is why people go crazy. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I, I was, that's the feeling I get like in those situations where it's like, if you're surrounded by that, like if you're like, like, that's what I mean about like talking on the phone. Cause like, if I didn't have like absolute brothers who I could call on the phone and we could talk for hours, you just, you suffer because in, you know, obviously I, I am kind of pissed off right now. And, uh, cause it's like, otherwise, like if you don't have like confidants to like remind you what reality is. Or to like let you talk about reality, you make like offhand comments, and people are like, "Well, Comcast has their policies because well, I used to work for them, and like their policies make sense because you know like the company has to have their bottom line, and like you know they have to input your name into the data. You know, it's like somebody's like defending this parasitic corporation. Somebody's like, well. I'm defensive of Zoom because, like, I have to use it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm not attacking you. I'm not even attacking Zoom. <laughs> you know? Like, like, let me make an offhand comment about these, like, big companies that have so much control over our lives. Well, you have to listen to the science because the science says uh, science is real. The scientist says science is real, and therefore, because science is real, you have to listen to the scientist. You know, it's like people are trying to make you lose your mind, and they don't even know that's what they're trying to make you do. But no, this is why you got to have, this is why you, this is just, <laughs> I'm just a shill for the phone. I'm just a shill for talking on the phone. Uh, because, uh, I feel like without that, I don't know, you know, it'd be really difficult because I mean, you don't get the same effect through messages. Like, I don't, I don't mind texting. Like I'll send long texts sometimes. Like I have friends that I message with online. I have friends that I email with, but there's something about the phone that is so important to me, even in under normal circumstances. Cause if I suddenly started talking on the phone recently, like if I only started talking on the phone to people when Coronavi hit, I could see somebody else being like, well, you know, isn't it kind of weird how suddenly everybody started talking on the phone? Like I could see somebody like using my Zoom argument against me, some phantom, 
using my Zoom argument against me and being like, well, hey, isn't it kind of weird that like the phone companies exist and that suddenly people started using their phones to talk to people when they're isolated in their homes during lockdown? You know, I could see somebody using that argument against me, but no, I, I always talk on the phone. Have I always have? It's it's crucial, especially in an age where people are losing that skill. People are losing just the ability to to talk. You should be strengthening your ability to talk, because talking is is how you break the algorithm. The more the more confident you are in your ability to talk, the less anxious, less paralyzed by anxiety you are. When you talk, the less likely you are to, to, to like fall into a verbal algorithm. That doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a verbal. The phantoms are really out tonight. The phantoms are just really out tonight. They're out to get me. They're like, there's no such. Oh, do you really believe in a verbal algorithm? Do you have the science to back that up that there's a verbal algorithm? Verbal algorithm is when you just talk like everybody else around you. It's when you modify the way you talk in an attempt to be like the people around you because you're afraid of not being like them. That's falling into a verbal algorithm. It's when the person you're talking to uses a certain inflection and you start mirroring them. It's when the person you're talking to is using a certain word and you start using it. It's when you're on a date and you start using the same word over and over again because you're nervous. But you know what makes you not nervous? Talking on the phone. Because if you talk on the phone enough, you get used to talking. The gift of gab is something you can learn. Something you can develop. You might think you're shy. I used to be shy. I used to be very shy. And then uh, then I lost my mind. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, obviously I am kind of pissed off right now. Because I'm just like, I'm just finding that, like, it seems like... It seems like people are really defensive of total bullshit right now. And uh, when people, like, defend companies and defend, like, this awful software, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I just I want to circle back before I close out. I want to circle back to that sort of person who used to work for a major corporation and they bought in. And that's, like, what a corporation wants. Like, somewhere, like, if you were – if I were to tell, like, the CEO of Xfinity – that, oh, I, I worked with a former employee of yours and I made an offhanded criticism of your horrible fees that you punish customers with and they defended your policies even though they no longer work for you and they have no obligation to defend your horrible practices. And that CEO would give me an evil smile and they would be so happy. Because they completely brainwashed that person. And this wasn't a dumb person that I'm thinking of either. This is actually a very smart person. And that's the scary thing. 
the scary thing is that a really smart person can become completely brainwashed by a corporation they work for to the point where they lose their social skills and defend a company that somebody just made an off. Like I was venting. I was like, yeah, it sucks that Xfinity charges you money to like make a change to your account that has nothing to do with your actual account. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just like on a social level, you respond to that by being like, yeah, that sucks, man. Oh yeah. Those cable companies, you know, like if you are socially aware, you respond to a comment like that by saying, yeah, that sucks. And then that's the end of the conversation. The conversation is over. But when you turn around and you're like, the policy is this, you know, it's like when you become this, you know, this minion of a company you no longer even work for, it's just like, what, you know, what's going on here? You not only have turned this conversation into a weird, socially awkward, like, debate, And you, you know, you've like ruined your camaraderie with somebody, you know, cause like now I can't trust you cause that's what happened. Like, even though this person was smart, like when somebody defends Xfinity because they used to work for them in some like low level capacity, I can no longer trust that person. Like when they sacrifice their camaraderie with me. For this, for the sake of a company they no longer work for, I'm sorry, but like you know, I try to trust everybody. You know, I try to have a policy of trust everybody, and the bullshit will equal it. You know, the bullshit will even out. You know, but like when somebody does that, I'm like, God, I can't trust you now. What other bullshit will you buy into? And like, it's the same thing for like the person who got defensive about Zoom, where it's like when I said, oh yeah, you know, I haven't used it yet. It's kind of weird that it showed up out of nowhere and everybody's using it for everything. And I, and I even made like a self-deprecating joke of like, not trying to get conspiratorial here, but you know, isn't it, you know, I just, I've just found it a little bit weird and that person gets defensive it's just like <laughs> it's just it's just like god like the socially aware thing to do in that situation is to say oh yeah i know what you mean even if you don't agree like even if you don't agree like the socially aware thing to do is to humor the person and be like yeah it is kind of weird Instead of being like, no, it is normal and we have to use it. And, you know, it's actually really, uh, I actually prefer, I actually prefer not being in the same room as somebody and seeing them on some like glitchy screen and, and like hearing their voice echo in this really awful digital way. Oh, I, I love I love it when my computer microphone feedbacks and my friend freezes on the screen with their eyes closed. Like when you get into that place where you're like defending that, it's just like the socially aware thing to do is just to say, 
Oh yeah, you're yeah, I get it. Or ha ha, because I was making a joke about like a conspiracy, a Zoom conspiracy. You know, but that, I guess that gets to my end point here, which is like it goes back to people kind of like losing their minds and like the fact that some people aren't going to come back. It's social awareness. And I guess I'm pissed off not at anybody in particular. I'm just pissed off that this is the situation we're in where there are some people who are losing their social awareness because they haven't been socializing with people or they've been socializing with like the one person they live with. They probably don't talk on the phone enough. <laughs> uh, but they're losing social awareness. And somebody could say like, I'm not socially aware. Like, oh, you make jokes about coronavi. Oh, you make jokes about the, the sacred coronavirus. You're not very socially aware. No, I'm an asshole. I'm socially aware. I'm just an asshole who makes offensive jokes sometimes. I know what I'm doing. The difference is, like, these people who, like, defend all this bullshit don't seem to know what they're doing. They don't seem to be aware of, like, how that conversation works. And I worry about people losing that. Because at the end of the day, that's all we have. Like, you know, being socially aware is all we have to connect us. Not all we have, but it's like, that's such a vital component. And I'm becoming aware of the fact that when people don't have that, like when people don't have the normal processes that remind them of how you're supposed to interact with another person, how you're supposed to respond to another person, I worry about the toll that that's going to take permanently. But maybe people will just snap back. Like maybe I'm just maybe I'm spinning my wheels here and people just have to spend, you know, a couple months interacting with people again and they'll gain that back. But it's not just that people have been isolated, it's that they've been isolated with all of this fear. Not just about the coronavirus, but all it's been like bundled with all of this political fear, all of this political and social hysteria. It's really been the perfect storm of nonsense. And I think most of that's just chaos. I don't think all I don't think that's all related. I don't think that's all by design. It goes back to Zbigniew Brzezinski, you know, history is more the product of chaos than conspiracy. And I still believe that. I still stand by what he said. Like I don't think that all this is actually a conspiracy. Like even though coronavi Race riots, political unrest, political hysteria, even though all of these things have been intensified during the same period, and not just intensified during the same period, but that they've all been intertwined. Where like your opinion about one of those things is intertwined with your opinion about another one. Like your opinion about coronavi and, and scientists is interrelated with your opinion on BLM, which is interrelate, interrelated with your idea about Republicans and your, your feeling on protests. And your, it's all like interrelated in this intensified way. 
and the you know the result is is that like people have been in this nonstop state of like forced opinions, forced concern, fear, just insane levels of fear, financial stress. Then you combine that with the isolation. And, you know, when they talk about old people, they say like, oh, the first thing to go is your eyesight. I think in certain situations, the first thing to go is people's sense of humor. The first thing to go is your sense of humor. And like, you know, I've survived horrible things through humor. Not because I'm not by being funny. It doesn't even matter if the humor is funny or not. Simply having a sense of humor. doesn't matter if it's a good sense of humor or a bad sense of humor, an appropriate sense of humor or an inappropriate sense of humor. Simply having a sense of humor, having that muscle still work. And not allowing that sense of humor to be based on politics or ideology because it's not a sense of humor if it's dependent on a belief system in my opinion a true sense of humor is open to anything that causes you to laugh or find amusement and so when something is only funny if it's like making fun of a democrat or making fun of a republican or it's only funny when it's John Oliver, John Olivier. You know, it's, it's like people are at that point too. Where like their sense of humor requires, it's like their sense of humor has to pass through this filter that tells them it's okay to laugh or not. Depending on who is saying it, who they are saying it about, why they're saying it. Like... This is what I'm talking about when I talk about the elasticity in people's sanity stretching and possibly breaking because they're they're having to process everything and filter everything. And the result is you're no longer having pure experience. You're no longer responding purely to anything. And the one thing that should remain pure above all else is your sense of humor. Like if somebody can't joke about Zoom without you getting defensive, Jesus, Christmas. Obviously that had an impact on me. Obviously that conversation had an impact on me. I don't see that person listening to this. And if they did, they might not even realize I'm talking about them. They might not even realize that they got defensive about Zoom. But they did. (laughs) And uh, that itself is funny. I can find the humor in that. I can find the humor in the fact that I'm pissed off because somebody I know got defensive about Zoom. Because I made a joke about it. You know, it's like... uh, I have a sense of humor about the, the person who got defensive of Xfinity because they used to work for it. And I guess if you work for them, you understand the policy. 
which makes sense like because it's like if you're having to enforce that policy it makes sense that at some point you might have to actually believe it if you have to use zoom for work meetings it makes sense that you might have to start thinking it's good Like, it might make sense that you've invested a certain part of yourself in that thing because you have to use it. But you should still hold on to a part of your basic self because you lose yourself when you become that person. You, you, you lose yourself when you've in, invested so much in this thing that's not you, that's something you have to do. That's all I got. That's all I got. So remember, kids, uh, criticize every scientist, criticize Zoom, criticize major cable companies, be really upset about everything, and you'll actually retain your sanity. <laughs> you'll actually retain your sanity if you remain critical of all these things while keeping your sense of humor. I don't know. I stand by that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know everything. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, I know exactly how to take care of yourself. But something, there's something to be said for being critical while remaining as, you know, keeping a sense of humor about that critique. I think that is a way to kind of keep yourself level and you don't want to get lost in the negativity of criticizing, but I think you should be kind of skeptical when things are just kind of forced upon you. And anytime somebody tries to take your sense of humor away, that's the ultimate litmus test. The second that somebody tries to take your sense of humor away, you know there's a problem. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.